Psalm 131, and then Chase is going to read for us the scripture this morning. Oh, Lord, my heart is not filled up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child in with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope is hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Wow, those Fenara kids, I tell you, they get a lot of good stuff from their grandmother. And grandfathers. All right, so we're going to be in Psalm 131, and I want to get you ready for it because this is so important if we're going to learn to live and to have an immovable faith in our lives, okay? So I'm going to start by telling you what my favorite movie growing up was, and it's still in my top five movies as an adult, okay? And I'm going to do this by asking you to raise your hands if you have seen it, and if you're watching this online, just raise your hand anyways, okay, if you've seen this. How many of you have seen the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Is it not the greatest movie ever? It's unbelievable, right? Uh, let's, let's shame some people for just a moment. How many people have never seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Raise your hands. Wow. That's such a shame. John Young, you did not see the movie? Would you please see the movie this week? At least make an effort. No, that's John Young refusing to see the greatest movie of all times. Hey, it had a race car. It had an incredibly talented actor, Dick Van Dyke. It had a beautiful co-star and a budding romance. Not that I cared when I was a kid. But it had the, the arch villain of all children's movies. In fact, he's rated number one on all-time children's movies' terrible villains list. He was the child catcher. And do you remember that they hid a lot of the children in this village into a cave in the mountain, and Dick Van Dyke found them, and he sang to them a lullaby song. And it's one of the best songs that have ever come into humankind. It was called Hushabye Mountain, and it went like this. So close your eyes on Hushabye Mountain, wave goodbye to cares of the day, watch your boat from Hushabye Mountain sail far away for Lullaby Bay. I'm tearing up even as I read those lyrics. This was such a powerful song and a powerful movie in my life. All right, all of that to say this, if you wondered, which I'm sure all of you have, is there a lullaby in the Bible? The answer is yes. And we're reading it and studying it today. It's Psalm 131. This is a song that is amazing. And what we're going to see is this. You ready? Now, here's my outline, which is admittedly the most boring part of this message you hope hopefully it goes up from here it goes like this here's the outline a humble heart will produce a trusting heart 
that will result in a heart full of hope. And a heart that is full of humility and trust and hope will make for an immovable Christian in their faith. All right, all of that was prelude. All of that was introduction. Let's jump right into the psalm. I've got three points for you. And then the first point, three subpoints. All right, now the boring part is done, I hope. Let's move into it. Number one, we must pursue a humble heart. We must pursue a humble heart. So everybody look at me for just a moment. Because I need you to hear something. And if you're watching online, make sure you get this really clearly. You may have heard somebody tell you, you cannot choose humility. Humility is something that must be done to you. I'm telling you that's not true. We can choose humility. And David, who most believe penned this song, is going to show us how he pursued humility how his heart was full of humility. And you're going to see it in three distinct ways, okay? So I'm going to give you the first one, and then we're going to read the scripture. He learned to renounce pride. He learned to renounce pride. Now, let's get into the Word of God. Let's let the living and active power of the Word of God work in us. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. All right, you ready? This is huge. This is really important. Pride has only one direction, up. It only has one direction, up. It wants to make you exalt yourself. Pride is never content in humility. Humility in the Bible literally means to lie low to the ground. You lie low to the ground so that everybody around you gets the notice, gets the attention, gets the advancement at work, gets the credit for what they do. Pride wants to move you up. It wants you to get the advancement. It wants you to get the notice. It wants you to get the accolades. Humility says, I renounce that. I want to lie low to the ground because I want everybody around me to receive it. Pride is what reigned, what lived in the heart of Lucifer. Lucifer is the angelic name of Satan. Here's what it says in Isaiah 14. It has a dual application to the king of the most powerful nation of the, on the earth at that time and to Lucifer. Listen to this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Now listen, watch pride. You ready? Everybody look at me. This is so huge. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, here's what pride does. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. You see that trajectory? Here's what pride does. Always goes up. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what pride does. And the same movement in the heart of the devil lives in your heart and lives in my heart. 
And the redeemed life, the life of the Christian, is one of confessing it and repenting of pride as God reveals it so that it cannot root itself in our hearts. Now, here's a little secret to spiritual growth I'm going to teach you. If you want to grow spiritually, here's how it comes about. You never need to confess anything that God does not reveal to you. But as you walk with the Lord faithfully, as you are in the Word of God daily, as you are on your knees, either literally or metaphorically all the time, God will illuminate, He will shine the light like an x-ray on things in your heart, things that you think, things that you want, desires that rage in you that are not pleasing to Him, listen, nor are they good for your joy. He's jealous for your joy. And he will illuminate those. He will do it through conviction. He will do it by opening your eyes to see it. And when he does, here's the secret to spiritual growth. When he does, you confess it. Meaning, children, think of this for a moment. When your parents need to tell you that you did something wrong, and when you are most humble, you finally say, you're right, I did do that and I shouldn't have. That's confession. It means to agree with God. And when you agree with God, you begin to repent by his grace. And as you confess, and as you repent, and as you worship the God that showed you what's robbing you of joy and what's not pleasing to him, your life will gain freedom from that which held you captive. You will begin to be transformed. Now, I want you to see the second word in this entire psalm. It's the key to humility. If you want to be a humble person, the second word is for you, Lord. Now look at it. Everybody look at that word. It's in all small caps. That's the name that God has given, Yahweh. It's the greatest name for God that he's ever given to anybody on this earth. Yahweh is the name that we just sang about. The God who keeps his promises the God who is good and faithful. It is the covenant-keeping, self-existing. Now, what I mean by that is that nobody made God. And because nobody made God, now think with me, got to put on your thinkers for a moment, because nobody made God, nobody has to counsel him. No one has to help him. He doesn't need some power from any other source. He is self-existent, meaning that when he makes a promise, there's nothing that will ever move him to break it. That's the Yahweh of the Bible. He is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God whose very word is absolute. It is infinite. He cannot not be faithful. That's a double negative grammar schools. That means he's going to be positively faithful. That is Yahweh. And it's in the worship of Yahweh that David realized, this is how I pursue humility. Now, Pastor Kyle is going to walk you through the Lord's Supper at the end of this, but I'm going to give you a little teaser. Are you ready? In your holy imagination, in your mind's eye for a moment, if you're young, you can do this, and if you're older, you can do this. 
I want you to picture yourself outside of the city of Jerusalem, up on that mountain where three people were being crucified. The one in the center was the Son of God, Jesus. And I want you to picture that you walk up to the base of that cross and you look up to Jesus who is being put to death for you. And I want you to imagine something. You ready? I want you to imagine that you begin to tell Jesus how great you are. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. If you want to choose humility, if you want a humble heart, then you need to know who your God is, and you need to see Jesus on the cross, which is one of the reasons that we regularly do the Lord's Supper. It is a pride killer. It destroys it. Because we need it. Pride camouflages so well that, that unless it's garlic fest, you don't even know your breath stinks. That's the problem with bad breath, right? Halitosis disguises itself from the one breathing it. But this is what pride does. You don't see it. You need help seeing it. And when you see God as your Yahweh, as your covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God that is high and lifted up, he will show you, he will reveal to you the pride that is in your life. You see, David was a worshiper of Yahweh. Are you? And don't answer yes too quickly. I didn't ask if you're a worshiper of God or a worshiper of a religious divine being. Are you a worshiper of Yahweh? And if you are, he's going to show you what's in your heart that is not pleasing to him and that is robbing you of joy so that you can choose to reject and renounce pride. But look what else it does. David goes on, we must reject arrogance. Now, arrogance is a little different than pride. Let me, let me distinguish it for you. Arrogance comes from pride. Now, everybody listen. But it is pride looking down on others from a lofty perch that is arrogance. Arrogance is what the NIV says in verse 1, my eyes are not haughty. Have you ever met an arrogant person? Now think about that for a moment. Have you ever met an arrogant person? You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their eyes. You know why? It's because in their own self-evaluation, what the world calls self-esteem, self-image, they are so high above other people that the only way they can look at them is by looking downward. That's what haughty eyes are. David learned to reject them. He learned because he knew and he worshiped Yahweh. He said, my eyes are not raised too high. You see, arrogant people examine themselves and they calculate a value that is exceedingly high. And that fuels a self-confidence. Friends, listen, if you don't hear too much more at the beginning of this message, hear this. The gospel is at war against self-confidence. 
confidence. And you might be already having a little bit of a trouble with that statement because you're steeped, as I am, in this American Western culture that says you've got to be confident. If you're going to be the best athlete, you've got to be self-confident. And I'm going to tell you the gospel obliterates self-confidence and moves you to have the utmost confidence in your Yahweh that then begins to put in you a settled realization. He's never failed me. He never will fail me. He has jobs and purposes for me to live, and he's going to give me the ability to live them. That's confidence in God. And that comes from rejecting arrogance. This is what David did. You see, arrogant people actually move up on the throne of God in their hearts, and they request that he slides over. You see, God, I can rule and help you because sometimes you kind of drop the ball. I mean, look what happened in my life this last week, you might be saying. Well, God, you dropped the ball, so let me climb up and help you rule my life. Let me give you some pointers. This is what self-confidence and arrogant people do. David rejected it. Listen to how he prayed at the end of his life. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me so far? David's the king of Israel. They're the most powerful nation in that whole region. There was no enemy that could stand up to him. And he said, I reject it. I reject arrogance. It's not about me. It's about you, O Yahweh. What is my house that you have brought me thus far? See, this is a man who has renounced pride and rejected arrogance. But look at the third thing that he says in verse 1. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Number three, we must relinquish selfish ambition. Okay, this is actually the part of the message that is so difficult to teach. Because we're growing up in and we live in a Western culture that teaches us to be ambitious. That's what the Western culture does. It teaches us to be ambitious. And so rejecting and overcoming ambition, it doesn't mean that we don't want to achieve things in life. It doesn't mean that we should be passive with no motivation in life. What God is producing in us is a confidence in him, not in ourselves. It's a holy ambition to worship God for who he is, listen, not for what he can give us. Do you see that? This is what God is producing through Psalm 131. It's a righteous ambition grounded in his purposes, his ability, his calling, his grace. In the Western culture, ambition is what Eugene Peterson said. It's aspiration gone crazy. It's the lauding, the bragging of self-confidence, the making of self-gain into a virtue, the accomplishing of glory as a life goal. Which is why Spurgeon once said that the great destroyer of good works is the ambition to do great works. Do you know what he means by that? He means that if you've got a heart full of selfish ambition that wants the higher ever position on the corporate ladder, that wants the bigger paycheck that comes with it, that wants fame, wants authority, wants status, 
wants security from your own hands, all of that is forfeiting the good works, the faithfulness and the good things that God is calling us to do because we're clamoring for the great things. So this is why Paul said that I, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Remember the apostle Paul, he was trained under the best of the best, Gamaliel. He was on his way up to be a leading rabbi, a leading Pharisee. He was going to inherit the crown, basically. And he says, I reject all of that. All of that ambition was for myself. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want every part of my life to count for God's glory. Now, David is saying here that I'm renouncing pride, I'm rejecting arrogance, and I'm going to relinquish selfish ambition. I don't want it in my heart. Now, I haven't told you something about Psalm 131 yet. So everybody look at your Bibles for a moment. You're going to see a heading at the, under the, it's a, it's a subtitle. It's called a Song of Ascent. Do you see that in your Bible? Psalms 120 through Psalm 133 are what are called songs of ascent. You know what that means? It means that when they were going to Jerusalem, they would go in whole communities. Whole towns would travel together to go worship God in one of the high holy days. And as they were climbing up the path that would go to the, to the city of Jerusalem that was up on a mountain, they would sing all of these songs together as a community. And really, why then is Psalm 138 31 in here, it's because of this. If you're going to go worship your Yahweh, you must enter into his presence with a humble heart. You've got to pursue humility. And David's telling us, I learned to do it. I sang this song to my heart, to my soul. I renounced pride. I keep rejecting Arrogance. I keep relinquishing selfish ambition. I choose to lie low to the ground, and I will not let pride move me up into self-exaltation. But he says there's more. Look at verse 2. It's going to go on. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. David's going to teach us we've got to pursue a trusting heart. Not just a humble heart, but a trusting heart. Now, moms, I want you to think about something for a moment because you understand this better than anybody. You actually could teach this portion of the psalm better than I could because you know what your baby was like when they were nursing. And when that baby would get anywhere near you and that baby was hungry and can smell the milk, all of a sudden, that baby would get agitated and restless and begin clamoring and crying and moving. But you remember when you weaned your baby, and now your baby is self-feeding. Your baby is now eating solid food. Now you can hold that baby sometimes for an hour at a time, and your child would just look, it up, look up at you with those eyes wide, and they would be content to just lie in your arms Minute after minute, 
This is what David's saying. Here's a metaphor that he's giving us so that we can understand. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Look at the personal pronouns. This is something that we can learn to do by the grace of God. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And all of a sudden we get a picture of a Christian who has learned to be content. Well, now it allows our heart to be opened up with some surgical questions. Are you content with how much money you make? Are you content with your status in your school? Are you content with your looks? Are you content with your home, with your personality, with your talents? with your gifts? Are you content with your calling in life? Are you content with your health right now? You see, when a Christian becomes weaned, they no longer approach God for what God can give them. They approach God to give him praise and glory. That's a weaned Christian. And friends, there are some in this church that are adults and not yet weaned. How do you get weaned? You know your Yahweh. You know who your Lord is. You begin worshiping him. And there's a process where you no longer come to him demanding what he can give you. And you come to him ready to give him what he deserves. Now, everybody listen to this. This is probably the most important thing I'm going to tell you. Until you become weaned in your Christian life and your soul is quieted and calmed, you will not be able to be immovable in your faith. And when that storm comes, and friends, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. Those storms don't come with advance warning. There is nothing on the horizon that you see. They come suddenly in your life. And when they do, will your faith remain immovable. What David so far has taught us, if you want an immovable faith, you humble your heart. How do you do that? You renounce pride. You reject arrogance. You relinquish selfish ambition. And you calm and you're quieting your heart like a weaned child with its mother. You're content. You're trusting. You're lying in the embrace of God through worship and prayer and in his word. You are approaching him not for what he can give you, not to Demanding he gives you more, but you are approaching him to praise and to worship him. And David says, there's one more thing, point number three, that you need to pursue. And that is a hopeful heart. Verse three, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So now we've got Yahweh at the first verse, and now we've got Yahweh at the third verse. And please listen to me. The only way to have this kind of heart, humble, trusting, and hopeful, is to know who your God is. It's the only way. And it's not, and I've taught you this in this series, it's not just knowing it here through information. Now listen, watch what I do with my hands. It's got to move from here 
down to your heart, your spiritual center of your being. And the only way that truth moves from your mind to your heart is by faith. Do you believe it? And now we're going to go deep. You ready? It's your heart filled with hope. Do you even know what hope is? Let me define it for you. Robbie knows. Let me define it for you. Hope is faith for your future because you know God has been faithful in your past. Friends, drive that one deep. Get it down there. Believe it. Hope is faith for your future because you know God's been faithful in your past. If you struggle with anxiety, it's the number one condition that counselors see in America. If you struggle with anxiety, here's what anxiety is. It is fear for your future because you don't think God's been faithful in your past. You're convinced he's dropped the ball in your past. And it produces a faith that has cracks in it. How can I trust my future to a God that has failed my past? So now we get that surgical question number two. You ready? This is the biggest one. This is huge. Do you believe that God has dropped the ball in your life? And don't be too quick to say no. Because if there is a point in your faith where you believe God has failed you or not been good to you, the devil will extract that and it will produce anxiety, fear for your future, rather than hope, which is faith for your future, which rests on the absolute determination that God has been faithful in your past. If you want hearts full of hope, then you must believe that God, who has always been faithful, his name is Yahweh, he cannot be anything but faithful, will always be faithful in your future and your life and your heart will be full of hope now imagine this you're pursuing humility you want to lie low to the ground you don't want the throne you don't want to control you can relinquish that to God. Why? How? Because you're renouncing pride. You are rejecting arrogance. You are letting go. You're relinquishing selfish ambition. You're content at the base of the throne. And all of a sudden, your heart begins to fill with trust like a calmed and weaned child whose soul is quieted. You come to God not clamoring for what you want from him. You go to God because you love him and you want to give him your praise and adoration and your heart is filling with hope faith for your future because you know he's been faithful in your past now watch this here comes a storm and you didn't see it on monday and you didn't see it on tuesday but it blew in wednesday morning and it has rocked your world and changed it but you stand on a rock. You stand strong. You are immovable. Why? Because your heart is humble. You're lying low to the ground. You've renounced pride. You're learning to reject arrogance. You're relinquishing selfish ambition. You don't need to be in control of your life. Why? Because you're trusting that Yahweh is in control of your life. Why would I fear anything? Because nothing can get into my life that doesn't go through the hands of God first. 
And that faith begins to fill you and produce a hope and a faith for your future. Why? Because there's never been a moment when God has not been faithful in your past, and he will never be unfaithful in your future. And that storm comes in, and eventually that storm goes out, and you learned, and you grew, and you, came, you became stronger in your faith. Why? Because you are immovable in your faith with a humble, trusting, hope-filled heart. That's the kind of life that Romans says we can have when Paul wrote, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Friends, is that you? It can be you. Pursue a humble heart. Pursue a trusting heart. And pursue a hope-filled heart. Sing Psalm 131 to your soul every single day, and you will become immovable in your faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Psalm 131. What a powerful psalm it is. And Lord, a psalm that encourages us to trust you, a, a psalm that encourages us to be humble, and a psalm that encourages us to pursue hope. Lord, you are utterly faithful. You are Yahweh. David opened up, O Yahweh, and closed Israel. Put your hope in Yahweh from this point now and forevermore. May we be the people of God that have hope and are immovable in the storms of life. It's in the great name of Jesus who was given the greatest name, Yahweh, that we pray and that we trust. It's in his name we pray. Amen.